Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about covert abuse and the ways in which uh, uh, terms and labels affect our understanding, but then also what they are communicating. But before we jump into that, I want to remind you that uh, we at PeaceWorks have uh, other resources and opportunities available at our website, chrismoles.org. Uh, including PeaceWorks University. If you have enjoyed the podcast and it's something that you listen to regularly, I think your next step is going to be PeaceWorks University. It's our online membership site. It has uh, hundreds of resources, uh, including hundreds of hours of video-based content, master classes with experts in the field, toolbox items to help you in ministry, live Q&As to answer your questions every month, and an online community of like-minded people. So if that sounds like something that would be interesting to interested to you and uh, something that you could benefit from, then head on over to chrismoles.org and check out PeaceWorks University. We would love to have you on the team. So uh, questions have been coming in to us uh, using a variety of labels. Let me just pull one up here. And it's in the 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 vein of wanting to know if I could speak to aspects of covert, invisible, psychological, domestic terrorism, narcissistic abuse, like just using these terms as a precursor to the word abuse. Now I understand, I think I understand the terms. Um, if you want to take like a deep dive, you may want to look up things like the dark triad and and you know things such as that trying to understand a little bit more of these connections between what the world calls narcissism and um, antisocial behavior uh, all of those are interesting topics but I think the thing that I want to focus in on a little bit is while I understand the nature of the question you know Pastor Chris can you talk about covert abuse for instance and I think I can but there's also a level of a check in my spirit that goes, is, is that really the best use of the conversation? And here's what, here's what I mean by that. There are individuals who are experiencing more covert aspects of abuse. Manipulation, minimization, denial, forms of passive-aggressive responses that are creating and cultivating climates of, of fear. That is a hard category to discuss with say ministry leaders pastors church leaders because it is kind of an unfamiliar territory for many of outside observers what we might call covert abuse looks like normal behavior in some regards or just sinful behavior and and that in many cases is actually true what makes abuse abuse is not the word that we place in front of it the word that is placed in front of it is usually just describing the ways in which the person is experiencing the abuse, right? So if someone uses the term emotional abuse or psychological abuse or mental abuse, they're not, or at least they, they should not be, 
trying to communicate a standalone category uh, of abuse that needs its own nuanced study, although that is not unwarranted. What's being communicated is the one of the ways in which I'm experiencing abuse is this way. So when someone says emotional abuse, that doesn't mean that it's the only way in which they're experiencing the abuse. It may be one way they're experiencing the abuse. And so if you notice, even my language there, I'm using the phrase the abuse to help clarify that emotional abuse is not this, again, standalone category. It's part of the whole. So it, let's say you've got a partner and they're using uh, tactics that we would call tactics of emotional abuse, right? And so uh, let's use a, a very significant tactic such as threatening suicide. Okay, so as a partner, the partner threatens suicide. Well, I'm just going to kill myself. They're using a tap tactic of manipulation designed to affect the loving relationship between these partners, or at very least the victim's love for their spouse. And so what they've done is employed a very viable, usable, workable tactic of what folks would call uh, emotional abuse. But is that the end? Does that, does that define it? No, we're just using that as kind of a category, somewhere to hold it. What is happening? Abuse is happening. The, the threat of suicide here is a tactic of manipulation that is um, designed to control the outcome, to use a level of power over this individual, right, to control and to demean and to diminish and to uh, get what they want. That would be much more consistent with our understanding of abuse than just simply saying emotional abuse. Now, I get it. I know why we say it. And I guess all I'm trying to articulate in this podcast is to say that when we use terms, um, we use them as descriptors. But when we define and talk about abuse, we're using it as a construct. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. And here, here's where I'm going with this. So let's go back to another descriptor that we get a lot of questions about. Pastor Chris, can you talk about covert abuse? When individuals use the term covert abuse as opposed to overt abuse, it can mean all kinds of different things. The, the, the most common is that overt forms of abuse are like very demonstrative forms of power and control, where covert abuse are more hidden forms of power and control. And you can go down all kinds of different trails. There's some folks who really parse this out and define covert abuse very specifically. Uh, but for me, abuse is when one person uses their power to control another, right? So this idea of power over is so significant here. That power over is going to create threat or fear. And so that's the abuse that's taking place, right? The individual is left feeling threatened, feeling afraid, feeling helpless, being succumbed to the power of the, the other, of the partner who has that power and is using it to control them. Whether it's overt or covert, it's abuse. I hope this is making sense. My fear is when we just hammer so hard on getting that, that term just where we want it to say this is what covert abuse looks like, well, another tactic's going to come up or another, um, another direction's going to be found, right? Abusers are far less concerned with our nomenclature, right? They're, they're not really concerned with our terminology. They're concerned with their target, with the victim. 
and maintaining control. And so on the one hand, descriptors are very, very helpful so that victims and survivors can articulate what they're experiencing. On the other hand, they can be somewhat detrimental as they can they can seemingly be presented as a standalone category, that I'm a victim of covert abuse. That may be true, but that doesn't mean that you're no longer a victim of domestic abuse, which is the construct or the overarching category of power over. The other danger here is that if I really define covert abuse very specifically using tactics and behaviors, then things that are abusive in the hands of an abuser, such as being passive aggressive, forms of manipulation and deceit that are all enforced, right? That are all reinforced by power, fear, threat, right? Those same tactics then, then can be used to call anything abuse. I hope, hopefully I'm, I'm making some sense here. And so what we end up seeing is we see a lot of perpetrators who then claim that they're being abused because they're experiencing passive aggressive behavior and they're experiencing manipulative behavior or their wife lied to them, which may be true. That behavior may in fact be sinful, maybe not, uh, but does it have the same weight? So we want to be faithful to help articulate the experiences of victims and that's where terms like covert abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse are helpful in categories, but we also want to be careful to place them properly in the construct because the weight of abuse, that the power over dynamic, the fear, the threat, those are significant to the discussion. And if we simply create categories of behavior, right, then we may inadvertently provide uh, a false narrative for an individual who's experiencing um, sin, and in particular for perpetrators who love, right, to play the tit for tat game. And I, I hope that is the big takeaway here, is that as we're parsing this out and trying to give words and language to our own experiences, that we're doing it with wisdom so that we're not providing categories for people without that experience to then claim that experience. And in particular, I'm talking about perpetrators, again, who love to play the tit-for-tat game, the eye-for-an-eye game, uh, which says, well, I've been hurt too. And yes, many of us have been hurt by our spouses. Many of us have been hurt in relationships. Many of us have experienced what it is to be lied to, to be deceived, to be manipulated. But not all of us have experienced abuse because with the, that lying and manipulation and minimization and denying and blaming stands a, a weight, a significance of power that has been abused and is being used to control and that inevitably will create a sense of fear uh, and threat and so anytime we are <clears throat> excuse me anytime we are bringing up about terminology I think it's important that we keep the larger construct in mind so let's use another term right so we've talked a little bit about emotional abuse and then covert abuse here's another one we've been getting a lot of questions about invisible or hidden abuse and um, again I think it's a it's an appropriate category if you're trying to describe an experience and I think this has been something that some of my friends have been in biblical counseling have been having some issue with is um, and I think we 
I think we agree on the basics. We might disagree a little bit on the the conversation. Just to say, I'm okay if if you're trying to describe your experiences to me, and you use the term invisible abuse. I'm probably not going to, you know, try to define those terms right away and be like, well, you got to think this way, not this way. That it doesn't seem helpful. What what seems more helpful is to listen, to help, you know, try to understand what it is that's being communicated right and then have a conversation and i think that's that's just the the big hang up is we don't want to get caught in this trap of if everything's abusive then nothing is abusive right and so if abuse is simply defined by character traits or uh, behaviors then everyone's experiencing abuse and everybody's abusing and that can't be the case right uh, and what we end up doing i think is cheapen the experience of real victims who have been assaulted sexually and physically and emotionally and mentally and relationally, right? I think those are, uh, can be cheapening factors. So when someone talks about invisible abuse, the assumption we're making is it's hidden from someone or it's hidden from the general population. What's being communicated is here's a, you know, my unique experience seems hidden and, and no one seems to understand. And, I'm a little hesitant to tell anybody because it just seems like normal marital behavior, but I know that I'm afraid. I know that this can escalate. I know that the the end result is control, and I feel like I'm suffocating. And and those type of lang- that type of language and description can actually help us as we're trying to understand the experience. But then as we're thinking categorically rather than just saying, yes, you're a victim of invisible abuse, what we may do is ask more questions and pull the rope, as it were, and get more details and listen more. And what we discover is that that category was a good descriptor, a good tool in the hands of the victim to help us understand what they're experiencing. But it's not the whole of their story, uh, nor is, is it the end of the story. And what's actually happening is not an isolated case of invisible abuse, right? But it is a case of domestic abuse as a construct. And what we find is there's more to the story, that power and control is really the heartbeat of the story. And what we end up finding through discussion is, oh, there there is economic aspects to that power over. And there also was mental aspects to the power over. And yes, there was a physical aspect, whether that person used physicality or not, that threat was there. It's one of the things that created the fear in the context of, of the terminology uh, that the individual was using with us. So I, I guess I say all that to say, let's not jettison the terminology that that victims are using to articulate their experiences but let's also not um, bronze it and set it on the shelf as a as a trophy of certainty or as this is an end-all and I hope that makes sense in a way that's not um, dismissive or um, cheapening of a victim's experience at all I think you want a both and approach is you want both the experiential descriptors but then you also want kind of the the what are we holding people accountable to standard and uh, that that would be the kind of the last thing I want to highlight on this when 
when we narrow our focus to the descriptors as uh, as we approach accountability and that is addressing the um, the heart and the behavior of an abuser the descriptors can be a hindrance in some ways in that an abuser is confronted with their quote-unquote covert abuse and so there is a hard work and effort rightfully so given to their passive-aggressive language to their sarcasm to their um, subtle deceit uh, but but have we addressed the heart that's the question right I mean if, if we've created a more comfortable environment where there's less sarcasm uh, okay what have what have we changed have we addressed the heart or are new patterns of behavior forming that are still consistent with the power over worldview of superiority and I think that is part of the rub is we want to honor victim experiences but we need to hold people accountable in the practical heart level root level areas that are going to produce lasting change right that are going to produce um, something far beyond addressing the individual categories so yes we want to hear those categories yes we want to resonate and listen to those categories we want to hear victim experiences but also as people helpers I think we want to do the good work of putting those into proper categories ourselves theological categories and uh, one of the things we've been talking about here at PeaceWorks is we've been kind of viewing this movement um, as a series of, of mountain ranges and summits and you know we do want that abuse construct just understanding where abuse fits all the pieces how do they fit in this larger power over structure as one summit but that has to be filtered secondarily through a theological summit a second wave that says okay now how does this interact with theological concepts like love and the church and the image of God and the um, bonds of marriage right and sin how, how do those larger theological categories then affect our understanding of this power over dynamic and I think those are those helpful um, diagnostic and uh, prescriptive tools that have to be brought to bear so just to land the plane friends uh, I'm not opposed to the categories we received a lot of questions about these categories uh, I think the categories are very helpful in describing the experience and I want to listen to those but when we're offering a prescription we can we can target so narrowly um, that the, the treatment doesn't uh, bring about relief or function that the treatment only um, reinforces the categories and so what we want to provide as people helpers is a response that is larger than the individual uh, categories more encompassing um, so that individuals that we work with can actually function effectively as people who follow hard after Jesus so I hope that helps today I hope this has been an episode that kind of clarifies a little bit of my position but then also helps you as a people helper see that it's okay as you listen to hear these categories these nuanced descriptors uh, but also be listening for the larger pattern uh, so that you can provide real and lasting hope through the gospel all right folks thank you so much for joining us today on the peaceworks podcast we really appreciate everybody 
who makes this podcast happen every week. Uh, be sure to rate, review, let people know that this is something worth listening to. Uh, and until next time, God bless you guys.